This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, uh, this is Jay Harwitz with the Amazing Mets Alumni Podcast, and I'm really happy to have my old friend Al Leiter, number 22, but really number one in my heart, guys, I tell you that. Al, in 2001, you were involved in another work stoppage. Do you remember back when the team were in Pittsburgh, when you first began to figure out what was going on with the Twin Towers and everything? We were in a hotel getting ready for a series with the Pirates. Do you remember how you first knew the seriousness of everything? First of all, I listened to your, your, your podcast, and you've said that same thing to nine other guys. No, no, no. no. <laughs> now you're bullshitting us. I heard you. You did it to you did it to Wright. You did it to Franco. You did it what? to Kirk. Well, who's number I'm one with you are right now, Jay? Who is it? You are out number one. All right. <laughs> oh God, we need a little levity. You know what I mean? Yes, we do. Yeah. So um, in Pittsburgh. Okay. Pittsburgh, crazy. And I will tell you this, I can't believe I did it. And you were intricately involved. Um, it was obviously latter part of my career. My routine and process of every start was crazy with respect to my, my preparation. Um, so with that said, we flew from Florida to Pittsburgh. There was an off day on, on the Monday. Sunday night, I flew up to New York City and not to Pittsburgh. Because on Tuesday, after the off day, was the first day of school in Manhattan. And it was the first day for my oldest daughter, Lindsay, for us to start this year-round thing in Manhattan. And she was nervous. She was just first grader. So she's the oldest of four. And I felt her angst and kind of being a little scared. So I did something really that I never did in 19 years. I flew up Tuesday morning, 9-11. Um, I take her to school and see her off, take a car right to LaGuardia, get in a plane from New York to Pittsburgh. There literally were like every half hour, it seemed, on US Air at the time. And I was on the runway and we're taxiing. And the pilot comes on and says, oh, folks, oh, they're, oh, they're waiting for, you know, something that happened. There might have been a, ra a helicopter that hit into the World Trade Center, New York airspace, the air traffic control. Hang tight. And about not even 10 minutes later, they tell us, go back to the airport, go back to the gate, gather your belongings. The LaGuardia is closing and you have to evacuate. Like, what? So by the time I rush out, literally run through the rotunda at, at LaGuardia and I look up and I see what now we know as the second plane to hit into. Wow. Crazy. So I looked around like, wait a minute, is that, is that, what is that? Was that a video? Is that live? And they're like, oh my God, two planes hit in the World Trade Center. I'm like, oh my God. So I run, I literally run because I'm supposed to start that night in Pittsburgh. 
which is well, crazy. I, really like I was that. nervous to do this anyway. So I get in the car and the cab driver, it happens to be a female cab driver. And I said, listen, this is going to be an unusual request, but I got to get to Pittsburgh. Could you drive me to Philadelphia? And she's like crying and I'm crying, we're all upset. And, and she said, yes, yes, I'll do whatever. So I call you, Jay. You did? And, and you're like, okay, okay, we'll make it work. I'm like, look, there's a flight that's leaving at like 1130. I could get to, I could get to Philly. So you make all these arrangements for, for me to fly from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh to pitch that night. So as the rest is history, as the time goes on, they closed down Manhattan. I had to go over the Tappan Z because I couldn't even go to GW to then drive down the turnpike to get to Philadelphia to fly to Pittsburgh to pitch that night. And during that time, I'm listening to the radio, and that's when another plane hit the Pentagon. And I called you back, and I said, look, Jay, there's no baseball tonight. This is We're being attacked. Tell Steve Phillips, like, I'm sorry, but – so, yeah, there, there you were, woven into – an unbelievably sad, horrific day. So you really, until we, you didn't join us until we got back then, right? You know, until we got, you know. Right. We, so I wasn't there in Pittsburgh at the hotel and the federal building across the street. You guys drove back on the bus. I wasn't there. So I was, yeah, no, I, I was, I was, I was up in Westchester area until about nine o'clock yeah. The Metro North opened up and I took a train back to Grand Central and walked up to my apartment on the Upper East Side. Yeah, you know, I've been I've been with the team a long time, you know, forty years. You know, a lot of things. I was probably more proud of that team for what we did for guys like you and 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 Todd Zeal and Mike and Robin and Johnny Franco, Joe McEwing. You know, it was a tragedy it was unbelievable. We had the right guys for, for that kind of thing because every one of those guys with Bobby Valentine got it. I mean, we just. For me, you know, everybody talks about the one game, but there was so much more to that. The visits to Ground Zero, the visits to the visitation sets to the hospitals, and we did it really all without cameras. So in my career, a lot of great things have been involved with, but no more satisfying than be a part of that team in 2001. What, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, Jay, I, I'm not just saying it because this is your podcast, but it's a lot of it started with you. Well, the, not everybody, the, though. No, I, yeah. listen, I'm not, I'm not patronizing you. You know me. But there, there, a few things had to align there. And as tragic and, and awful as, as the day that we're talking about and then the days after that. But you got to start with Bobby Valentine. I, I think right. he was relentless. And a few things that played into this that I think also pulled the whole team together as we really dedicated the rest of that year and even then to obviously years later about our commitment to it. And it wasn't BS. We weren't trying to get back pages. We weren't trying to get publicity. There was a lot, a lot of stuff that you did, your staff did, that we did, that nobody knew about it. And that was not what it was about. But with Bobby Valentine being a local guy from Stanford, Connecticut, the other guy I have to kudos to Johnny Franco, local kid, Brooklyn. He got it. He got it. Me growing up in the area, I also got it. Like there was a lot of local understanding right. of New York City and and what it all meant. Certainly you mentioned with Zeal and Ventura and other other guys that that grabbed on and 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 realized how damn lucky we were to play baseball and and what these families were going through, uh, you know, Tuesday's children as you got heavily involved in and and certainly the you know uh, the late Rusty Staub and so many other people layers, but 
uh, kudos to you. Bobby V was amazing. And we took it upon ourselves. I remember even after we started playing back, you know, after the, the game, uh, you know, when we came back in New York uh, and that amazing night, you know, we, we had that, 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 uh, that area with all the supplies out in the parking lot. And right. And we like Sue Lucci did a line. Kevin McCarthy did, you know, help to organize this stuff. Never yes. had to ask any of you guys twice, you know, it was Let's yes, do what no, we did, was, and, we, and we didn't do it. And let me take it to present day. Unfortunately, you know, we're, we're, we're we are we now with, with the virus. How how are your family holding up with the you know with this with this with this virus and shutdown and staying? How are you guys holding up in New Jersey? Listen, knock on wood, uh, we're doing what the government is telling us: federal government, uh, state government, etc. Um, we're not doing anything stupid. The one silver lining of this is I never thought, Jay, I have older kids now. Lindsay, um, Lindsay turned 25. The one that I was telling wow. you about on uh, 9-11. Um, so she's 25. She works in the city. She's working remotely. My other daughter who just graduated college, she works in the city. She's working remotely here. And then my son, Jack, who plays baseball at Vanderbilt, his season was cut short as all the other stuff. He's back. And I'm telling, and, and Caitlin is, is, uh, is a freshman uh, in high school. And I bring that up, Jay, because I know people out there listening, like if there is the silver lining of having kids that are now young adults and they're we're back in the family together. I never thought with this would ever happen again, mostly because of my son, Jack, who plays at uh, play, you know, Vanderbilt. He was going to go up to Orleans in the Cape Cod League this summer. There was going to be no time between it. Then he'd come back and then go back to school. So and then, you know, he was a highly drafted, draftable guy like, you know, I just. So anyway, so thank you for asking. Yes, we're healthy and we're doing fine. And we're doing like what every other responsible person should be doing, the social distancing, staying away from people and, you know, being responsible. You know, I want is a good thing. You know, for as long as I've been with the Mets, we've always done a lot of charity. So go back to 9-11. It really makes me proud. Like we're, we're still delivering, uh, you know, food and, and, and supplies to the hospital in, in New York and New Jersey. So we're really continuing on a tradition of what we've been doing for a long time. Let me, let me jump to baseball for a second. One of the craziest weekend I was ever part of the last weekend of the 99 season. We, we have to beat Pittsburgh three times to have a chance to win. We beat Pittsburgh, you know, Robin against a big hit and won in a game. So that's Sunday night. We're, we're in the Diamond Club. We, we go to Cincinnati. If Cincinnati loses, we go to Arizona. I mean, what do you remember about that night waiting to where we where we go that night? Yeah. So uh, incredible because as you just set it up, here we are waiting for the Reds to uh, win or lose in Milwaukee. They had a rain delay. We already took care of business against Pittsburgh. Um, we knew we were going to get in the playoff. Well, we knew that we were either playing Cincinnati for that 163rd game uh, you know, we were tied with 96 wins. Cincinnati had an amazing season. They were just one game back of the Astros that year. Um, and then I was either, if Cincinnati lost, we were, you know, we, we got, we had the 96 wins, they had 95. I was either going to, we sat in the Diamond Club, as you said, at Chase Stadium. I was getting on the plane instead of going over to LaGuardia and then sitting on, 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 you know, taxiing on the tarmac. We had nice dinner and we waited to find out. And I was either going to pitch game one against Randy Johnson, who had a, a heck of a year. They won the West that year, Hunter win team, um, or fly to Cincinnati on a Monday night ESPN game and pitch against Cincinnati. So I, while I was nervous, I think I was in a position in my baseball life after all the 
troubles that I had with the Yankees and the injuries and then surgeries in Toronto. And then I had a chance to pitch in a World Series in 93 with Toronto and then 1997 with the Marlins when we won. So I felt fairly comfortable and confident of no matter what I, you know, I had like the whole, you know, the mental side of the game really covered and, and, and I had a lot of solace in that, you know, the late Harvey Dorfman, as you know, you know, really right. factored in my yeah. career a lot and helped me. So, uh, I was, I accepted the challenge. I was, I was excited either way. I really was, whether it was, you know, not playing against it. Now it turns out that, you know, one of the best games I ever pitched in my life was that game. And, um, it's something that Mets fans, you know, constantly remind me and Reds fans who hate me for it. Do you remember, I remember wrong, didn't we find out mid-flight where we were going that the, that the Reds won and we had to go to Cincinnati? Am I wrong about that? We, no, I, I think, think, Jay, I think what the, there was some question because they had a rain delay that right. we would just take off. But I think that that other people had better idea. No, we, we just, we waited at the Diamond Club because Cincinnati is just a puddle jump flight, right? It's less than an right, hour. It's an hour and a half, two hour flight. Uh, you gave me the Reds. Wasn't it, I mean, you know, two hits, shutout. And I, I think you told me the story once, like in seventh or eighth inning, you looked at the scoreboard, and, you, and when Mike came out for visit, he said, I've only given up one hit. Or I mean, you didn't know how good you were pitching during the game? Crazy, crazy. So here, the, the, it plays out this way. I had a one-hitter. Um, Jeffrey Hammond got a double, I think, somewhere earlier in the game. I kind of settled in my usual BS, you know, kind of wild, kind of find my cutter. Do I got my backward curveball, you know, high pitch count type games. Uh, you know, now when I think about it, like I just made it so much harder, but it is what it is. And I remember Pokey Reese in the ninth inning getting right. a double down the left field line, throwing it back to Ray Ordonez. And at old uh, Riverfront or Synergy, whatever they call that, the old stadium, mm. Uh, big scoreboard, center field. And when Ray Ardonius threw the ball back to me, I saw the one hit for Cincinnati go to two. And I turned around and Mike was actually standing there because um, I hadn't had a base runners. And, you know, it was a, it was a well-pitched game. And I turned to Mike and I was like, you know, in my only nutty left-handed way, I'm like, holy crap, I, I had a one-hitter. And, you know, Mike was like, you know, it doesn't give no reaction, whatever. Like, I was, I was just so surprised that I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Like it was, I was, the point is, is I was so locked in. Yeah, it was great. And 99, you had a good view of another game uh, uh, in the LCS and Robbins, uh, you know, uh, uh, Grand Slam single did in the 15th inning. You, you told me you were warming up in a bullpen. If there was yeah. a 16 inning, that was a crazy game too, huh? So crazy. Um, yeah, it was about the, I don't know, 10th, 11th inning. Um, Bobby V comes walking over after one of the innings. He's like, look, I know you're pitching game six, but we might run out of pitchers. And I remember I had a very light side day earlier because, you know, you fly to Atlanta on the off day and then pitch game six. So I was like, Bobby, whatever you need. If we lose here, we're done. So he said, why don't you go put on your cleats and, and go down in the pen? So as that all plays out, and I'm pretty sure um, – uh, don't tell. I think Octavio don't tell pitched really well. He did. You know, he, he, did he did. He did. Yeah. So we ran out of pitchers. I was the next guy. So they called down. He's like, get lighter, start warming up. So I start warming up. I am warming up when Robin Ventura hits the grand slam single. Thanks to Todd Pratt. Yes. But, uh, you know, we win, but yeah, we get, it, we don't score there. I'm coming in the game. That was a so, crazy game. 
Uh, yeah. I think the fir- first time we met when we we were we were traded over, we got you from the Marlins. And remember the first time you you told me that you were a Met fan growing up in the '69 series. It might have had to be a special thrill for you when you first came over to Mets in '98. Oh my God, Jay! So back, I mean, back to like what. You know, you being a local guy, what you've done for the organization, there are certain things that you just feel that it's more than just your job or it's more than just you doing your work to get a paycheck. And I, I this is no BS. And I know people, maybe because I started with the Yankees and, you know, New York fans, you're supposed to hate the other team. Well, it's really hard to do that. And I always tell that to my Yankee friends. I'm like, all right, or Mets friends, whatever. I'm like, all right, your kid is a great player. You hate the Yankees. Your kid grows up. He's a nice high school player, college player, and he gets drafted by the Yankees. Wait, you hate the Yankees? Come on. It's the, I mean, the whole thing's stupid. Yeah. You know, Jerry Seinfeld is right. You're rooting for laundry. You're rooting for colors and logos and marks. That's what you're rooting for. But that's okay. Uh, having played for four teams and I was drafted out of high school by the Yankees, I was a huge Mets fan. And it was because of my father. My father was born in Manhattan. There was a hospital, an old hospital in the early 20s under the 59th Street Bridge. It's no longer there. And then my grandfather and grandmother moved out to Bay Shore in West Islip. And that's where they, uh, or East Islip, and they, he lived. And my father, fast forward with having six boys and one girl, in through the 60s when the Mets started, he didn't like the Yankees because they won all the time. And he fell in love with Casey Stengel, the whole lovable loser thing. He's an underdog guy. So here comes John Leiter, Carl Leiter, Eric Leiter, Kurt Leiter, Mark Leiter, and then Al Leiter. And we were Mets fans. And my first game I ever went to, I'll never forget, they raised the flag in 1970. I was five years old, so it's very hard, but it was very impressionable because you're watching baseball game back then on black and white. When you finally get to a big league game, the most impressionable thing is you walk to a, through a concourse at a major league stadium and you see beautiful green grass and you're like oh my god this is awesome and that was like one impression of one of the one of the concourses at Shea walking out seeing uh seeing that I remember the 73 LCS um against Cincinnati we were sitting in the upper deck in right field and I think as a matter of fact there was the game was televised on one of the national networks and my dad had me on uh his shoulders and I think there was a quick cutaway of me I'd love to be able to see that again because uh, you Somehow, some way, somebody, I don't know, maybe it was mentioned to me in 1973, but yes, Jay. So it goes back a long way. So having played whatever it was, 13 years or so in the big leagues and then getting traded to the team I rooted for was amazing. Out 2000 is the, um, you know, initially we went in Penn 20 years ago. The team wasn't a, a full with a lot of superstars. What do you think made that team click? You know, 194 games, uh, you know, be, be, you know, win five games of seven, I think, in the playoffs and, you know, lose to the Yankees in five games for like total of five runs. What made that team special in your mind? I, I'm a big believer of, of team camaraderie, team chemistry. I am. I know the analytics world tell you it's bunk. You know what? Uh, analytics world never was on a team where you just literally, of all sports, you, you eat together, you travel together, you sleep together, you shower together, you do everything together as a sports team, and you're so close to your guys. You better like each other because there's a lot of crap that goes up uh, during the year that you have to put out little brush fires as you know, trying to get 25 people to do anything and pull on the same side of the rope and all that stuff. Um, I think it starts with that, Jay, with how we just had a group. And look, we lost game six. We, you know, 
you know, the, the, the year before 1998, we barely missed out on the playoffs. Like this was a team with Steve Phillips, the scout ownership and all that was, they were putting together a good team. Obviously the centerpiece was Mike Piazza. We traded for him in 98, but there was nice pickups, right? Like Robin Ventura was a great pickup. Todd Zio was a great pickup. Edgardo Alfonso was coming into his own. Then we have guys like Benny Agbayani step up uh, that year. Jay Payton. Jay Payton, uh, right. You know, so we had guys that, that, that Melvin Mora, who would have never figured Melvin Mora did you something, or Joe McEwing, or even Matt Franco, and Lenny Harrison, you know, all the guys. Uh, you know, then eventually Timo Perez, I know he should have ran out the friggin' ball in game one. I still think yeah. we win one, we win the World Series. Sounds like bitter built milk, but yeah, whatever. Um, we had a lot of good guys. You know, Mike Hampton, we traded for him. While I think I was pretty good, like Mike was coming off a 20-game win season, so we had that other, like, front-end guy. Glendon Rush was a Hell of a damn nice pitcher. And Rick Reed was way, way um, underrated, I thought. Thurmond on the back end and, and certainly Johnny Franco. Talking about team chemistry, I can't not talk about Johnny Franco. Love the guy. One of the best teammates I've ever had. You know, pulled the team together. Just we had the right ability at the right time when things just didn't feel right to have like team dinners and hanging out. Like it was very common. Like if we were on the road, we'd have 8, 10, 12, 14 guys out together. Right. Like that I was, I, I, I so believed in that, Jay. It was so, so good. Started with Johnny Franco, no question. Dennis Cook, Turk Wendell, all of them. I remember when, when, when dinner the switch, when it's about the 2000 World Series, you actually got honored for uh, losing game five, uh, for giving up like a 40 hop single to Louis Soho. And they had some connection you and Louis. First time I ever saw a guy get honored for losing game five at a World Series. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, so disheartening. But I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back to Bobby Valentine. I was so grateful that he, he had the confidence and faith in me to bring me back out. Uh, I settled down. I gave up two solo home runs. I'm still pissed off at giving a, a, a 1-0 or 2-0 changeup to Derek Jeter. I barely threw changeups. It was a dumb pitch. He ended up getting the second run there in the sixth inning. Um, so, you know, it was a 2-2 tie. It was a well-pitched game. And my feeling with game five, and thankfully, I'm so thankful that Bobby kept me in. I struck out two guys in the eighth to finish the eighth. And then I struck out the first two guys in the ninth, Tino Martinez and Paul O'Neill. And uh, stinking, I still think, Posada, I struck him out, but oh, well, okay. And then like a couple <laughs> pitches later, yeah, I do. I, you know me. I always about the strikes up, but, uh, you know. Whatever. But hey, I am grateful. After the eighth inning, Dave Wallace, our pitching coach, came down where I normally sit in the dugout close to the steps to go into the clubhouse there. And I purposely was very demonstrative and loud, may have cursed, to let Bobby V hear me at the other end of the dugout that I'm fine. Because he did the old proverbial, how do you feel? Dave Wallace did. I'm like, how do you think I feel? Ah, leave me alone. I'm good. Ah. And um, great. Bobby let me come out for the ninth. And unfortunately, it you know didn't work out for us. Uh, one last thing. Long before it was common play for players to get involved with charities, you started Lighters Landing. I still have the picture that you gave me in my room with uh, all the guys, Ricky Henderson, Mike Olerud, Alfonso on the wall. What was the backdrop of, of, the, of the calling for Lighters Landing in, in, when you started it back then? All right. So it came to this. As, as many people do at all different levels of giving back and being grateful and blessed, to have a, be in a position to help those that are in need or help others, right? So I actually started the foundation in 1996 when I was with the Marlins, but I really got it cooking 
And again, thanks to you and your staff and the Mets and like all of your extended, um, uh, you know, people with the organization that, that made it easier for me to get in the community and get more involved. So, and I was eager to do it. And as a starting pitcher, you pitch once every five days, and you know, there was time that I was able to do it and I cared about it. So I made personal significant contributions to the foundation. And then there were some other, other, uh, you know, fundraising, if you will, you mentioned the Anthony uh, Fiorentino, uh, uh, that piece that he did. That was nice. We raised money. Yeah, it's a great piece. Yeah, I remember MSG when they used to televise our games, they did like strikeouts for, you know, matching thing. And there were companies that match. We raised some money. Anyway, I wanted to to have the ability to be able to direct contributions to especially smaller organizations and smaller charities that could benefit from smaller donations. And it was more, there was a connectivity to it and there was a, there was a relationship. So yeah, that was it. A, a, a lawyer, I, I, I still like to call you a lawyer. Um, thank you for your time. You still mess it up. It's Alois. You, oh, well, I can't, I don't speak well. <laughs> uh, you're, you're a great friend for a long time, and uh, I'm glad we keep up our friendship, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, same here, Jay. You're, you're, yeah, be you're safe, be Lori, and the family be safe, and let's stay inside and follow the governor's advice from all the states, and be safe and social distance. Yes, you too. Be well, and I'll see you soon. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Team.